welcome here today. That's a bit more of a subdued, I must say, that's a little bit more of a subdued sort of hello. So I'm just gauging the room this morning. I was chuckling as Pete Steele was sharing. Can you just stand up, Pete, for a moment? You are the most unengineering looking person right now that I can... Just give a look, because this is the person who helps make our aircraft fly in the air. Can you imagine we are trusting ourselves into that man's... I know, I know, I know. It was the cap, it was the shorts, it was just the... Well done, you. We are in a good place, you know, very good. You can sit down. Oh, that was supposed to be a little bit of a banter there, and and it comes back on me so easily. That's not very good, is it? Um, Good news, good news, good news. Uh, Actually, I should... Let's just extend that one more. Let's see if I can dig my hole even deeper is that yeah I know everyone's saying no 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 is that um on the 23rd I think of March the what our regroup on the Sunday night we're just going to affirm some new leadership in the life of our community and we have pleased to say we have Colin Coxill and we have Chad Gates who are going to be part of the finance and we have Pete Steele <laughs> as well as Ian Bunston who are going to be part of our church council in fact we're putting their names forward so it's not a done deal it's just saying we're putting their names forward so if you like the cap and the shorts and the Boeing thing then I'd say yes to that every day. Very good. We um, have been talking about generosity over the past number of weeks. I just want to report back to you because it's kind of exciting. I'm really encouraged by this. Um, We talked about our budget, and I don't like talking about this because uh, you come along here this morning, first time here, you're not a Jesus follower. What is religious stuff all about? Who is God? And they're hitting me up for money, you know? Um, But just to keep our community going, we need to occasionally talk about that. 48,300 is our um, budget, and we in January was 41.9, so that was looking a little bit down, and we talked about that. Well, pleased to say that this last month, 51,300, this is the largest amount of giving that we have had in any, in fact, there is 89 people, we've always said, or we'd love 100 um, people who are giving. And to me, it's not so much, even though it is also about the number, Wes and Gavin would remind me, but it's actually the heart that's reflective in that. Um, and, and so we buy into generosity here. That's why we do the Engage Sundays, is that we want to be generous with our time. We want to be generous with our finance, because we believe that there's a powerful God who actually at his heart is generous. And so we want to break this bond of accumulation and say, I want to give back. And so when you practice that, it does something to you, uh, whether it be $5,000, $500 or $5. In fact, there's one young person, and I won't name them here, that I'm aware of that does their little job each week and they deposit their $5 each week. And I look at that and my heart is warmed because I go, it really isn't about the 5000 or the 500 It's not even about the $5, it's what that represents. So if you're a young person here this morning and say, I can't do that until I'm earning a million dollars, that is just not true. Part of practicing generosity begins with what you have in your hands right now. If it means $5 or $500 or $5,000, it's the heart that what it reflects. And that is worth celebrating and I'm really encouraged by that. I hope you are too. Did you hear this week, so just while we're pausing before we get back to that incredible scene in South Africa and the renewing of a nation and what the optimism was at that time. There was a couple of things I wanted to mention. Billy Graham is a gentleman who uh, some of you or many of you might know of, a gentleman statesman who at the ripe old age of 99 went to be with his maker. And he had served the community and proclaimed Jesus 
for generations. In fact, one of the gentlemen statesmen we have here by the name of Norman Pell hung out with him for many years, 20 years of shouldering together. Uh, Norman set up a lot of the um, uh, events that were happening here in the 50s and 60s to do with Billy Graham. When I heard the news last Sunday evening, uh, the next day I went and visited Norman and we chatted and reminisced a little bit about the heyday of all of those events. It was marvellous. And I heard someone say Billy Graham's message was a very simple one, but it was a profound one. And if I may, it went something like this. There is a God who loves you. He would quote a passage from the Bible that goes something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not lead a perishing life, but have life everlasting. And Billy Graham, for many years, proclaimed that simple, profound message. If you like, in my words, it would be, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, there is a God who deeply, deeply loves you. How do I know that? Because he gave. He gave his son who bled and died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago so that anyone who will place their trust in him and say, I believe truly God is at work in you. You are his son and you have come to liberate and give good news. Whoever places their centered faith, their, their settled faith and conviction in him, there's a new world that comes alive in you. If you like, it's the God, the God picks you up and he welcomes you into his home. He washes you clean and he gives you a new power at work in your life. And that, my friends, is the good news of Jesus. So as we reflect on, did I do okay, Norman? Was that kind of on the mark there? As we reflect upon, and I reflect upon the passing of a great person in our world, I remember his message that still continues on. Maybe you're here today. That's the first time you've ever heard that before. I want you to know that that is a message for you as well. Maybe here today, in this place, you will cross the line of faith and enter into a whole new world with God. He loves you. He died for you. And he rose for you. And he is alive. Today I want to talk about the most deepest matters of our life. Our heart. How is your heart? As we're talking about this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down world of Jesus, I wonder how it intersects with our heart. A couple of years ago, I was uh, turning right onto Heathmont Road, the corner of Canterbury and Heathmont. It was nighttime, the lights were on, and because of the nature of our crossing, which is a very dangerous one, People always run through red lights, so we pause and we wait. And as I paused and waited there with my car in the middle of that intersection, the lights went amber. 50 meters away, there was a delivery a car, van, a courier. And I could see as I looked at him, he wasn't actually looking at the lights of the road. He was looking around as I was trying to find an address. So I paused a little bit longer. I said, surely you won't even attempt to go through this. It's 50 meters away, but he accelerated. <laughs> oh, and he accelerated to extent, this is ridiculous. It's going to go red and go green for the other side. And it did. So I was starting to edge forward thinking there is no way. And he started to slow down, but still edge forward. There was a way. And, and as we sort of stopped there in the middle with green on the other side now, he continued to move past me and drive off. Whew. 
Well, I was so infuriated at righteous anger. <laughs> I did something that, well, this is what I did. I turned and followed the car. All right? Yeah, I know. Oh, boy, this is even worse than you, Pete, right? So I went and turned and followed the car, and, and I was driving along. That's, uh, and I was driving along, and, and I caught up with this car up at uh, East Link, right? And, and I did something I shouldn't have done. Um, I got out my camera, right? You, not, yeah. And, and I took a photograph, and then I also did something I shouldn't have done. I, I wound down my window, and I was like, you, this is killing people, like this, right? Oh, my goodness. Have you ever found yourself afterwards doing something that you know you shouldn't have done and you were thinking, what on earth was I doing? Or is it just me? (laughs) I called up very calmly the next day and spoke to the uh, directors of that company about their driver. In the early 90s, I was playing football for Yulon, Yulon North. Yes, I happened to. And uh, we were playing against the top team, uh, Trafalgar. And it was a home game. And I was out there on the wing and I was, you know, there's some days when you play a a sporting game where nothing, nothing, nothing that you try ever works. Nothing. The ball bounced the wrong way. Uh, I went to pick it up, couldn't cleanly dispose of it. I was getting hammered by the opponent that was on me. Absolutely. It was embarrassing. And I still remember being up there on the wing. How was I going to deal with my frustration in a very civilized, in a very uh, mature way I was going to? There I was, if you had seen me back in the 90, early 90s, I was up on the wing, bumping this guy as hard as I could. The ball was down there somewhere, just releasing my frustration like this, yeah? And, and afterwards in the change rooms, there's this little other voice that goes through your head. Have you noticed that at the time when you're doing things, do you think, this is kind of silly, this is kind of stupid, this is not you, but you're doing it anyway? Has anyone found? No. Um, and, and I found myself afterwards going, oh my goodness, there must be a better way of dealing with frustration than this. Have you ever found that in your own life? Have you ever found yourself doing something and you think, my goodness, what, what is my heart telling me? Let's press it a little bit deeper. Have you ever found yourself saying words to people that come out and they're just cutting? And they come out so easily and naturally, you find yourself afterwards going, did I really say those things? And um, what kind of heart do I have that would say those things? Or, or press it a little bit deeper. You've, you've hold a grudge against someone and it's just been lingering and hammering away at you all the time. And, and you're starting to form such a negative opinion about someone, you can't even look them in the eye. H- have you ever experienced that? Or maybe you've felt vulgar thoughts and ideas have popped into your head and you've gone, where on earth have these come from? Did my heart, did my mind really think those things? Have you ever experienced any of those things in your life? I wonder if there's another way. I wonder if there's a way to transform hearts. I wonder if there is a better way to live. So today I want to talk to you in the time I have remaining about matters of the heart. Because it all begins with the heart. Jesus had just been baptized. He'd gone under the water. He'd come up out again. He'd gone into the wilderness for 40 days and he'd been tempted there and he'd returned back and he was now sitting on a mountainside. Strange, somewhere else that seems to have been repeated. 
And he was sitting there on the, on the mountainside and they gathered all these people around him and it says he took a deep breath and he began to speak some of the most profound, shocking, challenging words that you and I and they had ever heard. This is how it went. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are the mourners, you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's justice, for what is right, you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, you will receive mercy yourselves. Blessed are the pure in heart, you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not cheesemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, you will be God's children. You can imagine the crowd as they're listening to this going, what on earth are you talking about, Jesus? How can those who are mourning and grieving be happy or blessed or predisposed in some favorable manner? How on earth? What are you talking about? Blessed are the poor. That's ridiculous. They're not blessed. They're the cursed ones, surely. Well, maybe we can understand a little bit further about what Jesus was really talking about if we compare his list, if you like, to the list that might be appropriate, that that reflect and represent maybe the attitudes that are all too easily expressed in the kingdoms of our earth. Maybe how the kingdoms of this earth define success. Maybe it would go something like this. Blessed are the rich in spirit, they will get what they want. Blessed are the ones who look after themselves, they won't need from anyone. Blessed are the haughty, proud or arrogant, they will have their 30 seconds of fame on TV. Blessed are the ones who turn a blind eye, they will be repaid in kind. Blessed are the ruthless, they will be promoted. Blessed are the dirty in heart, for they will delight in perversion. Blessed are those who stir up strife, because they will be children of the evil one. You see, what Jesus was trying to do is not provide for these people sitting on this mountainside a new teaching instruction about what you need to do in order to please God or even attain your place with God or even a set of rules and regulations of that if you try harder, you'll be more acceptable to him Now, what Jesus was trying to say is this is what the heart of heaven is all about. When it takes form and shape and comes upon human beings made in flesh, it's what happens when God's kingdom comes alive in someone's heart and, if you like, turns their world upside down or perhaps right side up. This isn't a list of to-dos. This is a list of of what God is like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the rich in spirit, the haughty ones, because this is what the kingdom of heaven, this is what God is like. Blessed are those who mourn at at all the injustice and all the poverty and and, and all of the um, pain and heartache in this world because one day when you share a heart like that, you'll be comforted in a new heavens, in a new earth. Blessed are the meek, not the weak, but blessed are the ones who have a humble estimation of who they are because that is what God is like and you reflect his heart in the earth when you do that because you will inherit his new heavens and earth because you're a son and a daughter of him just like he is himself. Blessed are those who hunger for God's justice, who want to put wrong things right because I tell you this, that's 
that's what the very heart of heaven is like. Blessed are the merciful, because in the same way, God will give you mercy too. Blessed are the pure in heart, because one day you will see a world where there will be no more impurity, and, and there will be no more filth, and there will be no more dirt in it, and you will celebrate at that because your heart's aligned with God's, and blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who go out of their way to try and reconcile and not tear and pull apart. That is what God is like. If you're just not quite sure if Jesus was not giving a new list of to-dos that you have to do, he pushes it even a little bit further. He, he, he said words like, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder. But I tell you this, if you so much have an angry thought about a brother or sister, you'll be liable to, to the court. Wow. He, he pushed it even a little bit further and he said, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you so much as undress a man or a woman with your mind, it's as though you've done it in flesh. Wow. Um, blessed are those who actually are being told that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you should repay people with equal amount, but not more. But I tell you this, do not resist with evil and violence the people who treat you violently. And what's more, I, I want you to pray for those who mistreat you. I want you to love your enemies. You see, I could imagine the people on that mountainside that day, jaws dropping to the ground going, what you are asking us to do, Jesus, is humanly impossible. And he would say, right you are. Now you're close to the kingdom of heaven. You see, the story of Invictus is just the story of the world all over, is it not? Nelson Mandela says, we are being a light to the nations. In 1994, 62% of the African Congress, sorry, they were voted in by 62%, the African Congress, and there was this great sense of euphoria, wasn't there? There was this great sense of hope that one day things would change and there'll be a new light to the nations and South Africa would be the beginning of building a new economy. And just a few short decades later, different bodies, same hearts. You see, if you don't change the heart, you don't change the human, right? It all begins with the heart. Three weeks ago, I went to watch the film Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing. I wouldn't recommend it unless you are tough-skinned and can cope with a barrage of language and violence being meted out before you. But as I sat there with a friend and just absorbed this, this fist-punching fighting where everything in life that you might hold sacred is being torn down in front of you, that is, relationship between a mother and daughter, husband and wife, community and citizens, as everything is being unfolded before you and torn down and stripped apart, and if you like, everything that you might hold sacred is being kicked in the dirt, there's one scene where the anti-hero is sitting having at a restaurant uh, with a dwarf, and they're having a dinner. I mean, the contrasts. And the ex-husband is sitting over by the side with his new 19-year-old girlfriend, and the anti-hero, she picks up a bottle of wine and begins to walk over to her ex-husband, 
in his 50s. And just in the moment when you think she's going to smash it on his head, he says these, these words, the one moment of wisdom or insight in the entire film. He says, do you know that anger begets anger? And the 19-year-old, and it's put in her mouth deliberately, says, oh yes, that's what I've been learning, is that anger begets more anger. I read it on a bookmark somewhere. And the scene subsides. And it's true. The whole film is about how violence just continues to perpetuate violence, one thing after the next. Hard heart, angry heart leads to more. The the funny thing about it, or the most disturbing thing, is critics have said, actually, this is not a critique of culture. This is a reflection of white, middle-class American culture, and maybe ours too. Someone else said, and they used the words, they said, the the, the one thing about this is that the the whole gist of the movie is to, to portray that the world is broken beyond repair and there is no perfect solution. And I tell you, as I was sitting there, the words of Jesus came to my mind, literally, and that went something like this, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful. And I sat myself down and was thinking to myself, to the world, you have to pick which is the better way to live. You can either choose this one or you can choose this way. And I tell you, my ship's on this sail and the only thing that we need more than anything else is someone or something to transform our hearts. And that, my friends, is the very message of Jesus breaking through into our worlds, in our hearts and our minds. The hope that we have is for a transformed heart. Am I making sense? Because if you're related to anything I've said so far, this next bit becomes really important. Jesus said, go in by the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction you see is nice and wide and the road going there has plenty of room. Lots of people go that way. But the gate leading to life is narrow and the road going there is a tight squeeze. Not many people will find their way through, but I tell you, that is the way that will lead to life. When God's kingdom comes upon your heart and it infuses your mind, And it gets caught in your body and you'll become someone who when you hear those words of Jesus, you don't see them as a list of duties to have to do, but there's a resonance in your heart that wants to and is like that, who mourns over the state of the world, who wants to bring peacemaking rather than retribution and violence, who is meek in spirit and not haughty, who prefers to delight in pure things and not filth. This is the heart of someone who walks a narrow way. Are you a wide gate walker or are you a narrow gate liver? Like any of those people on the mountainside, if you have concluding this morning, Jesus, it's too hard. I can't do that then you're in the right, ready place for how. Because he goes on and says this, there's another way and it begins with a new 
heart. You see, Jesus understood that if you capture the heart, the hands follow. Are there any parents in this room? Any parents in this room? Have your kids got old enough where you can actually say to them, could you please do the dishes? Anyone? Yep. And when you say, please do the dishes, sometimes, only very rarely or occasionally, they might come back to you and they will say, do I have to? Have you ever noticed that? Not in our household. I've heard this happens in other people's households. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation and when you've asked maybe your child to, could you please clean your room or at least would you close the door so no one can see? <laughs> and they say words to the effect of, do I have to? <laughs> yeah. You see, you might find yourself as a parent going, do this, do that do the dishes, clean your room, and you get to the stage where you say, you know what, this is not working. I can bring in punishments here. I can remove things so that it tries to... But what you're trying to do all along is capture the heart, are you not? So if they own your heart for a clean house or an orderly, civilized world, then, then they will do that. And then something magic happens. About 20 years later or 10 years later, or there's someone that comes into their life who they kind of like. Have you noticed this? And then you notice that their heart starts to change. They discover something called a comb. (laughs) And they start to comb their hair. And they're more conscious of the clothes that they... Have you noticed this in your own... They're more conscious of the the clothes that they wear. And all of a sudden, they, they maybe, if someone's coming over to visit, they might like a tidy house. And so you find them tidying up the house themselves. And you think, do you have to? And, and, and the realization you come to is that when someone's heart is captured, then the hands follow, right? And so Jesus understood this at the very heart of the matter is that unless you have your heart captured by the wonderful grace and power and the mercy of God, it'll be like a new set of rules and lists that you have to do. And what he tries to communicate to you when he's hanging on a cross and, and he's bearing his flesh and he's bleeding his blood, he wants to say to you, I love you and I gave myself for you. And if you would place your simple confidence in me, the new world that I created when I came back alive will come alive in you. So that's why John the Baptist said this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, when someone comes and places their trust in Jesus, his Holy Spirit, his very power from heaven comes and infiltrates someone's heart and mind. And when that happens, there's a new world that comes into being. It's as though you've just gone dating with someone and you've fallen in love and all of a sudden you don't have to. You find yourself wanting to do the things that God has said. This is who a fully human person is and will be if you let the heart of heaven break forth into your own heart of flesh and you will come alive. You'll be baptized if you like, immersed in my spirit. I've seen this happen in people's lives many times before. I had one gentleman say, I used to walk past people on the street. When I came to know Jesus, I slowed down and I was less judgmental and I paused and wondered what their life was like and how they came to this. And I would even interact. The heart of heaven transforming the human heart. I heard someone else describe it like this. My shopping changed when I came to know Jesus. You see, I used to race to the line, push in, and that was it. Those lines can be ruthless, can't they? She said, I came to know Jesus, 
and I was more aware of other people. I would actually find myself doing this. No, no, you go first. Really, you go first. Really, you go first. And if I was behind them, I'd say, would you hurry up and go first? (laughs) You see, what needs to happen is our heart needs to be captured. I had someone describe it a few weeks ago like this. When I let God into my life, I let him into parts of the rooms of my house, but it's as though I kept the fly wire shut. I wonder if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced this real immersion, this baptism, this, if you like, this infusion of God's kingdom in your life. It's because you've let him in the front room, but you've closed all the other doors and said, no, I just want to be the same. And the fly wire is still in place. I wonder this morning if God might say to you, isn't it time? Cross the line, open the fly wire door. Because that's what the heart of heaven is like. This morning, do you need to have a fresh heart? You're walking the wide path and you know where it leads and he's calling you to narrow place living. A change of heart. Capture the heart and the hands will follow. Well, secondly, this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how's it going to be salty again? It's not good for anything. You might as well throw it in and walk all over it. You are the light of the world. That's how you must shine your light in front of people. Then they will see what wonderful things you do and they will give them glory to your Father in heaven. So when Troy is up on the wing, bumping into the guy who has so frustrated him and he's thinking, is this a Jesus thing here? And he concludes, no, he has to realize that he needs a top up in his own life. Because he's not living the heart of heaven. It might be in there, but I tell you what, it is surely drowned out and dry right now. <laughs> I wonder if you're here this morning and you've been living wide place, wide, you're walking the wide path and he's calling you to a narrow way living and what you need is a top up. Because there you are shaking your fists at the car and you're going, no, 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 no. And you realize that your heart of love and mercy and kindness and justice has been left far behind. Band's going to come up in a moment. Come on up, guys. So I want to ask you, do you need a fresh heart? Or do you need to top up the one that you have already? Some months ago, I said to my children, I'm going to catch a train into the city and I'm going to get myself a ticket. How do I do that? Because they said, I know they don't have station masters anymore. So where do I put my coins? Like, how do I? Dad, have you heard of something called a Mikey? Mikey? Is that the name of someone? Mikey? They said, no, you have to go buy one. And when it runs low, you need to top it up. Really? How do you do that? I said, well, you go online and you... Well, you go to a 7-Eleven and you put some money in and it tops up. You keep using it. That's amazing. It's an immense cost-cutting exercise for the state government, I'm sure. So here's the rub. Has Jesus' upside-down kingdom come alive in you? Because it turns our hearts and our worlds right side up.
It's the fully human way to live. And the only way to get there is to conclude, I can't. It's counterintuitive. I can't. I can't. I can't. This is good. So by faith, you're going to have to ask and seek and knock. You're going to ask me to pour my heaven into you. You're going to seek and continue to every day. When you find yourself doing stuff that you shouldn't do and you just go, that's wrong, I need a top up. That you turn to God and you say, would you come please because I need your help. I need your help for my family. I need your help for my workplace. I need your help for my next door neighbor. I just need to have your heart of heaven pumping through me. Instead of pointing the finger at someone else, it's me. So here in this place today, as you hear the words of this song, I wonder how you might respond to the power of Jesus. Are you walking the wide path or are you doing narrow gate living? I wonder if he might put his thumb on something in your life today and say, enough with the wide, into the narrow, follow me, even if people point their fingers at you and say, that is ridiculous. You are stupid. It's the way to life. I wonder if God's uniquely positioned you to be his kingdom bringer in your place, just like Pete talked about in Boeing, where has God uniquely positioned you? Do you need a fresh heart? You're ready to enter his kingdom. Open up your heart today and just say, Jesus, come in. Or lastly, do you need topping up? So you hear the words of this song. You might want to write, you might want to pause, you might want to pray, you might want to close your eyes. But my prayer for you is that you will engage with Jesus and that he will freshly pour upon you his spirit in fresh ways. Have a listen to this.